All right, we are live on another edition of the Edlow Podcast. I'm supposed to tell everybody to subscribe to it, so subscribe. I'm here with some very special guests. I'm here with Reverend Peyton and Washboard Breezy from the Reverend Peyton's Big Big Damn Band. And uh, I have to say, this is really cool because look, I've shared on here before, I was a missionary for the church in uh, in 2000, and that is when I met the Reverend uh, and and Breezy, and they were just they were just starting to kind of come together at that point, and it's just been cool in the last 22, 23 years to see where it turned out, and now you guys are a big damn band, and it's exciting. So where did that where did the name come from? Well, the 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 name of the band, I guess. Um, let's see. I guess we could start there. Might as well. Um, yeah. That's as close to the beginning as 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 uh, as probably you know as it it works. Um, you know, as far as like uh, I, I've been I've been called Rev for a long time. So um, you know, when I was, uh, at, uh, I mean, like first playing music. I mean, the first place I played music was in church, mm. and um, it it. Um, was a little country church in the middle of nowhere and uh the kind of church where uh uh farmers were overalls on sunday mm. and um i uh and it, it wasn't very it wasn't very many people either you know mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of music so um uh you know i just i was into it it fired me up i i, I really i really liked it and i liked the the, the sunday fellowship you know the pitch-in dinners you know, around the world, that's something I always like to point out too. Is in in Indiana, uh, we call a potluck a pitch in. Mm-hmm. I was a you know, it, I wasn't uh, probably until I was I don't know, twenty three years old. I I knew what a potluck was because we didn't yeah. call them that. we called them pitch in. You know, <laughs> right. But with you know that all of that, um, you know, I I Just went make on. It clear, pitch ins are better than potlucks. They are, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, for the record. But when, uh, you know, when I was, uh, uh, you know, a, a young, a young guy, I was, uh, interested actually in becoming a minister. And I actually have a, a religious studies minor and, and, um, it was something that I, I was into, you know, back then. And, uh, so since I was a teenager, people have called me Rev, you know, it's just kind of been like a, a nickname. Even my mom calls me Rev. And when Breezy and I first met, I had this really bad, habit of saying like everything was big damn like that's a big damn truck or you know, that's a big damn hammer or whatever you know what it was it was just like for whatever reason i just had this like it was like a, a habit i said it all the time you know and when we were first together our very first like real date was to the indiana state fair and the uh uh one of the first things we did at the fair was we went up to this guy. Like you have this, you know, there's that guy at, at these places that guesses either your weight or your age, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we had him guess our age. And I was 19 years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. 19 mm-hmm. years old. And he guessed I was 42. <laughs> now, I am just now 42. All right. Yeah. So it's taken that long for me to get to be as old as I, that guy thought I was then. And keep in mind, he is a professional guesser of ages. Okay, that's what he does for a living. Right? <laughs> and he was so mad that he was so wrong because it meant that I, I was I was eligible for the biggest prize. He was so mad, he made me show all these forms of ID. He thought I was hustling him. 
And he's like, I'm going to get in trouble with my boss. I'm not supposed to give this away. This is terrible. You're going to cost my job. And I said, brother, I don't care. I won. And I won giant bear. And guess what we called it? The big damn bear. (laughs) I went around that night and we thought it was really funny back then. Now I look back and I think we were probably just annoying people. But but the girl that I was with was she she thought it was really funny, or at least she Mm. pretended to at the time. I don't know. But um, I would go, hey, two dollars to pet the big damn bear as people went by, you know, and this thing was huge. It was insane, you know. And then like if, you know, people would laugh sometimes and they wouldn't give me two dollars to touch it. And sometimes I just touch them with it and go, you owe me two dollars. <laughs> At the time, we thought we were just laughing so hard. We thought it was the funniest thing. So, you know, when uh, Breezy and I first met, in fact, I it was one week after I had hand surgery. So I don't know if you can see. Let's see. We can see if I can get to my scar on my hand. Yeah, you can see the scar right there. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, yeah. so that scar was, uh, you know, that was one week before I, I – I met Breezy. I had surgery on my hands to get my hands back working again. And I was still in bandages when we first met. I was working the front desk of a Best Western. I was, yeah. Trey Rada, our mutual friend, the Rada. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, so, my friend just had surgery and uh, he's at work. I wanted to go bring him a milkshake. You want to come along? And I'm like, okay. Come yeah. Along. And the rest is history. A milkshake, a, a milkshake and a big damn bear. And next thing you I know, walked, you're too. I walked too- in. I guess he said he knew who I was, but I didn't know if he'd know who I was. So I walked in asking about hourly rates at first, acting like I was someone else. Uh-huh. She tied her shirt real tight. <laughs> I, I knew who she was. I knew who she was, even though I'd never met her before. And um, the reason was because the Radas the, had always the, told us. Yeah, the Radas were always trying to get us together, though we'd never met. And um, you know the Radas. I mean, they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're a wild card. You can't trust everything they say. <laughs> you, can't, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot yeah yeah especially yeah. Tracy, tracy and brian i've known them yeah tracy i've known them brian, forever you can't trust what they say but i have to admit they were right about that they were yeah. pretty right about that so um mm-hmm. when she walked in i knew who she was and uh i mean a broken clock is right twice a day Brad. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um i uh i was almost instantly obsessed with her and uh have been ever since yeah well, I got to tell you, I'll tell you from my side, you know, being so there, I actually I don't know if you remember this breezy, but I met you before I was a missionary because I came out to visit Brian like a few months before I even knew I was going out there. And then randomly I ended up in Brian's ward there. You know what I mean? And uh, and so I ran into and I got to say, I got to say, because I met breezy before I met Rev and I was like, she was so cool and welcoming even back then and it was like the one thing that's cool about the rod is the reason i was friends with them is because they're kind of eclectic right you know what i mean like they they're not your typical they're not your, they're not your normal people you know what i mean and so and so so uh and it was cool because i knew if you were a friend of the radas i could hang you know what i mean and then i met rev and you were just also so cool and i and i knew immediately like you were you know, that was one thing that we kind of connected on was that you love guitars and I don't play, but I love music. And so, and it's just really cool because you guys did come together and, and the rumor from the Radas was how obsessed Rev was with Breezy. And that so, was the rumor back then, huh? Yeah. That's what you were saying, huh? Yeah, that's what everyone was saying. Damn it, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's been true a long time. 
it's I think it, at this point it's pretty much uh, it's pretty much a given. It's going to be true for Yeah, that's starting to get serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So when did the uh, but so that was, you know, 2000, 2001 when you get together. When did you guys decide to start a band? Well, I mean, as my hands were healing up, you know, I, I was getting back to playing again. I mean, I, I've been a professional musician since I was 13. Mm-hmm. I started giving guitar lessons when I was like 13 or 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so I've been doing this forever. And I, you know, at some point, not, you know, too long before Breezy and I met, I had to, I had to, you know, quit all my students, tell them I couldn't teach anymore because my mm-hmm. hands didn't work. They were all locked up. And so I was rusty, you know, and also I had just had surgery. So I had to do all this physical therapy mm-hmm. and I had to learn how to play and I had to get my confidence back up. And as I was doing that, uh, you know, we, we were getting together and, uh, you know, I was working with, uh, with her playing the washboard. Yeah, no, and, no, that's interesting. So let's talk about that. It's, I don't know of literally any other band that has someone playing a washboard. You're a trio, so you just have your guitar, then you have the washboard and drums no bass, no rhythm. You know what I mean? It's just the three of you. What What was it about the washboard that was so intriguing to you guys? And why did you decide on that? I was really into a lot of like jug band music and stuff. And one of Rev and I's first dates, like I played him some, uh, some music I liked. Some of it was like Charlie Patton stuff, which I think kind of sucked him in because that's like mm-hmm. his favorite blues artist. But mm-hmm. I told him, you know, I, I liked a lot of jug band stuff. So like the washboard and stuff. And I said, man, it'd be fun to get one. And he just went to an antique store the next day and said, hey, let's try it out. And I'd mess with some percussion stuff. And I play drums now, too. Mm-hmm. But so really, it was just on a whim, you know, and I thought maybe if I played along with him, it would encourage him to uh, get back to playing more. So so that's something I wanted to ask you. So my son, uh, he's he's just turned 17. He plays guitar. He's the lead singer of his own little teen band now, mm-hmm. uh, mostly cover stuff. He's written a couple of songs. And I, I could tell you that even at that level, he's very passionate. He's into choir. He's doing all this stuff. If he couldn't be involved in music right now, that would be really hard for him. Yeah. So I got to imagine that time frame. How long was it that you didn't get to play? A year and a half. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that had to have been rough for you. Yeah. I mean, imagine your son being told he was never going to play guitar again tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. That was what I had a doctor tell me that. I said, you're said, so he, said, he said, son, find something else to do. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna be playing again. And I, I went to an you know uh, another doctor, but it took a while because you know you go to a doctor and they tell you, hey, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to another doctor and said, I think I know what's wrong. And I uh, uh, you know I was talking about this actually earlier today. But you let me see if I can show you this. Watch, watch this on my thumb. Can you see that? My oh wow! Is, yeah. And my hands are insane, gumby, insanely flexible. Every one of my, uh, I mean, my fingers bend back more than 90 degrees, each one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a condition, I'm on the hyperflexibility spectrum, and I have a condition called Ehler Danlos syndrome. And Hmm. it's a spectrum. So some people with Ehler Danlos syndrome are like really debilitated. And then some people, it's more mild. Hmm. And I'm kind of in the mild to middle range. And Hmm. it's, uh, it's caused me problems through the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also is the reason why, and let me see, I mean, like, look how wide my hand can get. Yeah, man, that's, I mean, it doesn't look like a human like hand. A it looks like a frog, right. you know? Yeah. And yeah. so it's kind of a superpower, but it's also, you know, kind of a, a curse too. So 
my tendons and ligaments, because they're so flexible, it opens them up to injury. And mm. uh, one of the things that happens when you sort of, uh, you, you injure a tendon is it can release this, uh, this like fluid. Mm -hmm. When it does that, it can form a cyst on that. And that's usually how ganglion cysts are forming. Because of it, I am just prone to ganglion cysts. So I've had, I, I get them all the time. Mm. And when I first, when I was young, I didn't know how to deal with them. And mm -hmm. they grow and grow and grow until they locked up my hands. And it wouldn't just be painful or big. Like they, they actually like attach themselves to like the sheath that your tendons kind of go in between and they lock up your hands. Your, your fingers just don't move like they should. Right. Yeah. But over the years, I've learned that I can like, I start getting them and I'm like, oh, there's one, you know, and I, I kind of scrape on it with a coin or, you know, a, a piece of metal and I just grind on it. And I grind on it and it hurts and it hurts and it hurts. And, you know, a, a couple of weeks, sometimes a, a month or so, I can I can just about completely get rid of them or at least uh, grind them down to the point where they no longer cause pain or, or lock mm. up points. But it's a. You know, back then I didn't know that that could be done and they would just, they got, you know, some got my, so big in my hands, they locked up my joints. So I was unable to play and it, it was painful. And, and, um, I was pretty lost at the time, to be honest with you. I mean, I, uh, when I was a kid, um, I was, uh, when I was born, I was born folded in half and, mm -hmm. uh, the kind of breach where you're ass first instead of uh, feet first. Yeah. And, um, now, you know, they might put a kid in some kind of leg braces or, you know, they'd at the very least say, hey, go to physical therapy. And we're going to teach you how to walk correctly. Mm -hmm. They did none of that for me. They just sent me home and told my mom that one day I'd be better. And I never really was, you know, mm -hmm. uh, not the entire time I was a kid and, and uh, even into high school. So um, I waddled when I walked and uh, then I got to where I could walk straight if I really thought about it. And uh, but if, when I ran, I could not run and look like a normal kid. I looked mm. like a weirdo. So kids, you know, they made, they made fun of me. They, you know, they point out this. I didn't know, you know, you know I'm, I was a little kid. I didn't, I didn't know anything was wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily until other kids made sure to let me know. So I thought that there was some kind of, you know, I was deficient and, and damaged in some way. And, um, you know, my dad, uh, you know, I think he sometimes thought I was an alien because, you know, I'm a little kid that doesn't want to play sports, but, it wasn't that I didn't really want to play sports necessarily. I, I just, I, I didn't want to be uh, ridiculed by kids. So I couldn't run. So mm. if, uh, you know, there's, there's no sport where they don't let you, they, don't, they, they want you to run, you know, sprints in, in yeah. practice in every sport, whether or not you're yeah. running or not. So I, I just, I couldn't do it. You know, I, yeah. I, I uh, it was, uh, you know, kids were just too merciless. So when I was able to start playing the guitar, which is about 12 years old, it absolutely uh, changed my life. It gave me uh, uh, a great amount of confidence and, and, you know, it, it, it even, I, I felt like, I mean, my, my, my dad probably didn't know the difference cause my dad's not, he was, he probably never really uh, thought about this at all, but I felt really more connected to my dad, even, you mm. know, that he and I had that we shared, you know, cause my dad was an athlete. Uh, mm. He was a kid, you know, a gifted athlete. Mm. And, um, you know, I think he wanted me to play sports because he, he did. You know what I mean? Yeah. I my, dad was, my dad's not the kind of person like, you know, would like super pressure me in anything I didn't want to do. But I think it was just like, oh, this kid don't want to play sports. And boy, what do I, what are we supposed to do with him? You know, is that kind yeah. of not necessarily yeah. a malicious thing. Um, right. You know, he was never like, you know, malicious about it in any way. But, you know, still, when you're a little kid, you, you want to feel connected to your dad, you know. 
and yeah. uh, the guitar did it, uh, yeah. it, it, it made me feel very connected to him. And so then, I mean, I went on to, to, I mean, I'm in high school and I've got all these guitar students and I'm playing in all these different bands and, and uh, our own band of, you know, our, like our own personal band, like my band that I fronted, we, we, would, mm-hmm. we would play at a, at a local coffee shop or, or some kind of venue, all ages venue back then. And, you know, half the school would show up and there'd be hundreds of kids and we'd sell out venues. I was, you know, we were selling out venues when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, it was what I did. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then one day they're like, no, that's not what yeah. you do. So, you, you know, what's really interesting about that. Everything happens for a reason. And I find it very interesting as you're talking about this, that, because of this, you go and you get a job at a hotel. Well, and and, I agree. I wouldn't have gone to college if, if it hadn't been for this. I really don't. Right. Think, you know, my uh, I uh, my mom would probably be sad to hear me say that. But I always just wanted to play music. I felt like a a degree was a waste of, of time and money. And uh, but I ultimately, if I hadn't done that. And if the situation hadn't been that way, I, I wouldn't have met Breezy. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say is you wouldn't, have, you, you wouldn't yeah. have had that. Yeah. And and it's, it's interesting that that, that little gap in time, like really changed the trajectory of your life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you've had a lot of success with that. And it's interesting. It focused me musically. Like that's one thing too, is it made me a different kind of musician, a better musician. And I, Listening more because all he had to do was listen to music then instead of playing it. it mm-hmm. when my, my left hand, my fret hand was the first hand that really kind of quit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, so because of that, I, I played a lot more slide. Mm-hmm. So it made me a better slide player. You know, I mm-hmm. would, I spent, I spent that time playing slide guitar pretty much entirely, you know, so you mm-hmm. know, went, went straight to the woodshed with slide guitar, come out the other end, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a slide guitar player, you know, mm-hmm. so I, that also was a, was a, a big factor in it. And, um, you know, I think everything that happens, you know, wh- whether it happens for a reason or not, um, you know, you, you, you have to just kind of take it head on. Right. Yeah. And, um, I, uh, uh, at the time I, I, I thought it was the absolute worst thing that had ever happened to me. And, um, you know, ultimately, you know, if I don't know, I mean, if it's remained that way, if I had never started playing again, maybe it still would be, you know, maybe yeah. I still back on it that like that, but I was able to get my hands back and I can tell you this much. I don't take it for granted. You know, I mean, there's been several times in my life when something's happened, that's kind of like reinforced uh, exactly just how much I love doing this. You know, COVID was one, I mean, yeah. not being able to do this, uh, you having you know, our entire uh, you know career shut down. You know, like, like I say, the thing I've been working on since I was twelve years old. Yeah, um, that was also very tough. And yeah, but I come out on the other side of it. Both of us were like, "Well, this is we we just want to be out playing again." You know, yeah. I mean, money, financial end of it. You know, be damned. It, it just you know, it, we playing music is um, is what I think I was put on this earth to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when you when you talk about it, I was going to ask Breezy, you know, uh, I find with passionate people like obviously Rev is about the guitar. I got to imagine that if you were locked down with him, 
it was probably a rough rough go <laughs> there when you're not playing because i i know like me you know like i i did you know i did wrestling and you know i do the wwe stuff and then you know i'm a, I'm an attorney and i remember with covid you know I'm, I'm going 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 and then all of a sudden it's down to zero i got real antsy real quick you know and how, how was that time for you guys it was multiplied much worse in the beginning because i was the first uh, covid patient in southern indiana in the hospital oh so, my goodness uh, yeah i was lucky you yeah <laughs> you, did, did you ki did you kiss a bat what happened <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I'm a married woman. I'm not going to kiss yeah. it. But uh, yeah, no, uh, when we got to the hospital, and it was still during the time where people didn't have masks on. I mean, we had stuff, but like the lady at the front desk of the, of the hospital didn't. And mm. uh, we at the door, and we're like, we don't want to come in. Like, I'm worried about bringing it to someone because we were pretty sure that's probably what it we was. We felt like she was so sick that we were coming to the hospital. We thought we're and like, I had all uh, the signs that people didn't know yeah. at that point. Like, you know, lost. Uh -huh taste and things like that and um they're like well where have you been in the last 14 days or something like that and well, we just oh god well so so naming all these different states we just got off the <laughs> music cruise we were like yeah well i mean and they go no 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 not where have you been in your life where have you been the last 14 days and we're like that's where we've been in the last 14 days and our drummers in illinois and at the time our guitar tech was in northern indiana and our tour manager was in Missouri and had headed home. Yeah, the guy says to me, what states you've been in the last 14 days? And I said, oh, well, let's see. Uh, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana. Texas. And then he stopped me about there. And I and he goes, uh, no, uh, just the last four, uh, 14 days ago. I'm, I'm telling you the last 14 days. Louisiana, <laughs> Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, <laughs> Illinois. I got to start naming all this stuff. And he's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And, so then when uh, when they came at one point, you know, they like I, what when they after they had x-rayed her chest, then everything changed because she had all the markings, you know, of yeah. the of the scarring on there. But they mm -hmm. didn't have COVID tests in southern Indiana. No, because Indiana only got like 100 at first tests, which is insane. Oh, right. We're in like Indianapolis and northern Indiana, like mm -hmm. big cities, you know, we're in Bloomington, Indiana Hospital. Yeah, so, um, they come. They come in in full hazmat gear after oh, yeah. they did Put the X-ray. Special room. <laughs> yeah, uh, the <laughs> they were like, uh, yeah, like I remember before it. They're like, oh, you don't need to wear your mask. And then I remember it was Rev and I in the room, and I'd pull the mask down. It was just him and I. And the nurse come in. She's like, you need to get that up. And it's like, yeah, put the mask back on. Literally just told yeah. me to worry about it. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. And the doctor said they had to test for everything else to prove that it was COVID back then, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. 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 Cause that's right at the beginning where everybody didn't even know what was going to happen to you. And everybody thought it was oh, going to yeah. spread to 10% of the world. And, oh, and I, I got sick first. I got sick on March. It was March 3rd of so uh -huh. 2020. It was the first day I really felt like I was officially sick. Like I might've been getting uh -huh. sick. You know, I go like, it takes a few days. You kind of feel a little puny. And then March 3rd was the day I was sick, but uh -huh. I wasn't that sick. Right. Like I didn't uh -huh. feel so bad. Right. And, time you know i mean coronavirus had been in the news and we we like i, like I had a feeling it was going to be for real and you know mm -hmm. people think Rev's i'm the type of person like in in january of that year like he ordered all the toilet paper made us go buy like food i did uh, had yeah. we had a ton of food and my I, buddy we jim enough to like cover everybody else too so we my buddy jim food. he pulled the toilet paper off off our porch we're on, tour. we're on tour and he goes rev what the hell's all this toilet paper about i said buddy if this coronavirus thing ends up being for real, come to me for toilet paper. Yeah. 
I was nuts. And then everybody's coming to me because I had it. Yeah. I'm like, look, man, you know, if the if, if the first thing that happens in, in the Western world when society collapses is toilet paper goes. And everyone thought I was nuts and I was right. So anyway, um, by March 3rd, though, I mean, I'd been following this, but I, I didn't really believe that it, it was yeah. it was so far into our society that everybody had this. Right. Well, and also, I just didn't feel that sick. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. I that sick. I felt a little puny, not so yeah. bad. Get allergies. Yeah. At first, I was allergies. Well, then, mm-hmm. then everybody starts getting sick, like our whole camp. And Bree's mm-hmm. the last one to get sick, but when she got sick, she just did not get better. Mm-hmm. And she was sick it's for our, about it's our two last months. Last show, and we knew like everything was getting canceled, you know, slowly. We were in uh, Austin one day. And they canceled South by Southwest for, you know, later. the day we were in Austin. Were there. It was Everyone insane. In Austin was like super like freaking out because they knew that was a big deal. I mean, that's a big money maker there. Yeah. So all of our musician friends who live in Austin, we got a ton of them. We're all at the show. And we're all kind of sitting around like, oh, man, you know, is this this seems like this might be something serious. I don't know. But the last show we had in Chicago at the end of the night, I go, Rev. I feel really bad. I go, I feel pretty sick. I'm like, I'm a little bit nervous. I might be coming down with whatever you got. And he's like, well, we'll just get home and, and hopefully it's not that big deal. Because Chicago we knew was going to be our last show because it, like everything was being canceled the next day we just by decided, the government. By that point, like percent mm. was canceled. So we're like, we're just going to have to cancel. We thought it would be canceled for a month, maybe Yeah, two. a couple months we back at yeah. it. I think, yeah. And then you know, kick the can well, down for three years, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, two two weeks to bend the curve. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and you know we kept, and that was one of the, the hardest parts for us. Is like we're back home. Our biggest tour of the year has been canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what the future holds. That last show in Chicago, it was sold out, mm-hmm. and it was about a third of the audience that showed up. Mm-hmm. Wow, we're scared. So then mm-hmm. we knew that, like, even like, we we. We knew, you know, that regardless of what was happening, people were going to be coming to shows anyway. So mm-hmm. we go home and, uh, you know, we took Breeze to the hospital and, and the doctor says he comes out after the hazmat suits and all that stuff. He comes out and he says, hey, I've never sent someone home as sick as your wife is. Mm-hmm. All my years being a doctor, he said, mm-hmm. in normal circumstances, I would never let anyone this sick go home. Mm-hmm. Said, you need to go home and you need to pay attention to monitor her. And if she gets worse at all, you need to come back. Mm. Well, the- he said, I don't know if we're going to be inundated with elderly people mm-hmm. and people at risk. So that's the only reason I'm sitting at home. And I also think that like she might be at more risk here than going home since Rev had already been exposed to me. Yeah, he said, he said, you need to just go home and watch her. So we went home and the the hard part was the worst part was like, I'm, we're, I'm like, well, she's not really getting worse, but she's not getting better. You know, that was the weeks, thing for weeks. weeks. She just didn't get yeah. better. And so we're home. We're by ourselves. Like, you know, no one are the we, we they whatever prescription they gave us at the C, like We went to the CVS in Nashville, Indiana to fill it. Mm. And by yeah. the time we got to our house. All right. From the from the, the, the pharmacy there. The whole town knew we had COVID. Yeah. Hippolos. Yeah. Hippolos. Uh, <laughs> was out. So whatever prescription they gave her was, it made it obvious that, that we had COVID. So mm. uh, everybody knew, you know, and then and in good ways too, like people were dropping things off on our porch, but they were like wrapped in 
Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. coming in their own hazmat like, suits. <laughs> like driving by our house extra fast, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it was, uh, it was, it was really strange. But we felt so isolated. You know, we were, we, you know, we lived at the time in a in a 1850s log cabin that we had lived in for 16 years or something. And and um, but you know, our phones didn't work there, and we had no internet. Mm. So we are completely, we feel completely isolated. You know, we were going mm. to the library at night and getting in the parking lot, like sitting in the parking lot of the library so that we could FaceTime our family and, and pull up like a movie or something. Yeah. Something. Pull, pull up uh, our email, you know, th- everything, you know, the, the whole mm. deal. So, um, our phones worked so shoddy there, you know, sometimes yeah. it, was, it was, it was a, a, a really crazy situation, but you know, one of the things that happened there was we, we go one night to the library and this, uh, this cat jumped in the car mm. with, it. and, um, he jumps in the car and sits on my lap and, and he's just so personal. He's just letting us pet him and, and hold him. And, and, uh, I'm like, man, this, this, this cat's special, you know? Mm-hmm. So the next day we came back and he did the same thing. The cat's there again. He jumps, in. he's got no collar, no nothing. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I said, Breezy, he's coming home with us. And she said, we can't just take this cat. We don't know who it belongs to. So she called and, uh, and <laughs> there he is <laughs> and, and, and found out that he'd been abandoned by some woman that lived in a, in an apartment complex. So, uh, we, we called up, you know, some friends that lived at that apartment complex there in, in, uh, in downtown Nashville. And, uh, and, and, uh, they, they're like, well, we can't catch him. He won't let us get him. And I said, he'll let me get him. So I pulled up in front of there and I opened the door to the car and he just ran and jumped in and got on my lap. And I said, see you later. And I took nice. him and he's been nice. with us ever since. So he, he was a good we thing. We never could have a pet, but we were going to be home for, you know, undetermined amount of time. And our best friend said, whenever we go back on tour, they would help watch him. So And they have. So oh, that's is. awesome. That's and awesome. He just went to pick him up and like, look how, I mean, he's just the most affable personable cat you it's, it's just unbelievable how agreeable he is you know i mean yeah. he'll, he'll just let you pick him up pet him and you know he, he wants to be around us he doesn't want to go hide in the corner when everybody's like anybody comes to the house he wants to come and and greet them you know he's not uh, afraid of people he loves people that's awesome so yeah. now now the so tell me that you you kind of when i when i knew you, you were really into the blues but you've kind of you, you've kind of moved into country blues. in uh, well, your it's really just like, I mean, the way, the way it, it, it it's divided up, in, you know, is, is really like this. Like if the blues, a pyramid at the top is blues uh-huh. and it goes down like, you know, city blues and country blues mm-hmm. and country blues is underneath that umbrella is Delta blues, Piedmont, Hill country, Appalachian. And then underneath the category of like city blues is Chicago, West Coast swing, you know, Memphis horns, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So when I say country blues, like I don't mean country music, I mean rural blues. Mm-hmm. And generally when like scholars talk about this, they say country blues. Breezy always gets on me because she's always like, no one really understands that. And a lot of times, too, like people will say now, like there's, there's all these people that, that call like, um, I don't know, um, they call... Uh, a, a, a lot of different kinds of country music, country blues, which is not country blues at all. Country blues, mm-hmm. like Chris Stapleton, they'll call Chris Stapleton country blues. Well, he's mm-hmm. not country blues in any way. It's a soul country 
country. Yeah, he's a soul singer that that sings country music. He is not country blues. Country blues is rural blues, you know. At the and at its core, you know, country blues is all kind of born from Delta blues. Mm-hmm. And um, it, so when I say that, when I say country blues, I mean rural blues. Anymore, I've been saying a lot of times front porch blues because mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a little bit more uh, broad and uh, then it, 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 you know, it, it, it kind of loses the scholarly country title that confuses people that aren't, you know, music scholars. <laughs> so so the, I, I know you've done a lot of festivals. What kind of festivals does your genre fit into? What do you see yourself into? Well, the cool thing about us and how we've sort of built up this career is that we have snuck in the back door about every single kind of music festival and music venue there is. So we're definitely the only rural blues band that has done warp tour. Yeah. Nice. I mean, you know, it's like we can get by at places like warp tour. We can get by at folk fest, obviously blues fest, but also rock fest and rockabilly fest. Nice. It's, it's a, it's one good thing. Have you guys ever done Aftershock down here in Sacramento? Nope. No. Oh, that one. Yeah. That's more of like a hard rock, you know. Send him a message, though. You never know. I will. I I will. I'd love to have you come out there. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's what we say. (laughs) The squeaky wheel gets the grease. So, yeah. Aftershock is more of, uh, you know, hard rock. Metallica runs. Guns N' Roses just headlined it. You know, Tool, Tool was there this year. And, uh, I didn't go this year. I ended up down a power trip um, down in uh, where the Coachella is and, uh, you know, saw ACDC and Guns N' Roses, Metallica, stuff like that. So, no, yeah. Like the same weekend we were in Redondo Beach. Or it was, we yeah. Close to that area we've that. we've done uh, Bonnaroo, but we've not done Coachella. That's when we would yeah. like to do. Joshua Tree. Yeah, we've done Joshua Tree, but we've not done Coachella. So we've, we've uh, um, you know, we've been lucky to do – a lot of cool stuff. We've, we've played in uh, 38 countries, 48 yeah. of, the, of the 50 States, all the lower 48. And, um, yeah. you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's been pretty cool. I mean, you know, breezy, you're talking about washboard players, you know, and, um, a washboard, like, you know, the, where that kind of comes from is, you know, is a lot of different kinds of rural American music, particularly jug band stuff and washboard, Sam who played with uh buck of white, and a lot of the, you know, the, the sort of the big, you know, country blues, you know, heroes. Booker White was B.B. Uh, uh, King's uncle, mm. cousin technically, but he kind of called him uncle. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, but in terms of the washboard, you know, Breezy is is the only washboard player in the history of of the instrument that has a washboard tech. <laughs> And a washboard sponsorship. So there you go. So that's kind of a like. There's very you know in the history of the instrument. There you go. Person that has ever had this. uh, So something kind of interesting. Yeah. So now I've noticed that different musicians have different preferences. If you had a preference, do you prefer clubs, arenas, big festivals? Where do you really like? What's your favorite place to play? I would say. There's a certain shape of venue that I like. Um, playing indoors has a certain kind of. Uh, it's easier to control the sound. Yeah, like a certain kind of vibe where it gets like really, you know, like it's you're kind of, I don't know, like the all the vibrations don't just go into infinity and get lost. They're all right there. Mm-hmm. However, 
tents, when we play in a tent, so if we play mm-hmm. a festival and it's inside a tent, there is something about us playing in a tent where people usually lose their damn minds. And mm-hmm. it is, uh, it's, I might, I don't know, playing, when we play in tents, it's, 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 it's always good. We always say, we're like, we show up to a festival and like the stage in a tent, we're like, oh man, this is it. It's in a tent. Yeah. This. So I don't know what, what that is and what, what, you know, what that's about, but, um, I would do, say, do you think it? Do you think it may be a, like a throwback to kind of what you would imagine your type of, you know, like the like the, a tent revival, maybe? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. I think you know some of it is just um, it, a, a tent is also a way that kind of holds the music in. Mm. So mm. you know, when you're an outdoor, when you're an outdoor stage, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even a big outdoor stage, the um, the sound system even up at full bore volume is just, it, it's tough to get and, and send that and make it reach back to the very back of the audience. We did a tour with, um, we did a ZZ top tour a couple of years ago. Like that was one mm. of our first tours back after COVID, you know, mm. and it's like, you're playing these giant places, you know what I mean? Where it's, it's so hard to get the sound to travel there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mm. a connection. I mean, we definitely made a lot of fans on that tour, but, you know, pound for pound, like inside of a club or a tent or something, we're going to make way more. Yeah. And I think there's a certain amount of like, like when people, when people hear our records, you know, if you, if you hear the, 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 the music, um, I hope that people are excited about it. They think, Oh, it's a cool song. I like this. But when you see it done and you realize that it is just one guitar and washboard mm-hmm. and, and there's not bass and rhythm and keys and all this stuff. And all of that music is being made live mm-hmm. because our, our, our records are are, are, are live. You know, they're done live too. We play it live. So mm. it's not like we are a band and we do this live, but on the records we had bass and we had rhythm guitar and we had keys. No, we play it all live. So all yeah. that guitar, all the, all those bass sounds and the lead sounds I do with my hands, finger style at the same time. So and that's something unique about the type of guitar Rev plays because he plays a syncopated rhythm where he plays the bass at the same time as the guitar. So a lot of people when they hear the record, they think there's a bass player, but it's in fact him playing at the same time. Yeah, they think it's two people. When you right. see it live, he's got the bass player has got good reviews. And, and <laughs> yeah, one time we got a review of the bass player on a on an album. We're like, yeah, there is no bass player. Bass player <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on, man. People just don't pay attention. But um, when you, uh, so I think having that kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say confined, but just held in, and then you're you're looking at it, and you can see it, and you can really kind of experience it more than just you're there and it's happening far away, so far away that it, it's almost in another, you know, area code. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that helps. And, yeah. and I, and I, I think it, it definitely helps, uh, you know, with just the way we do things and, and what we are and who we are as a band. So, um, yeah. you know, it, it, the way, the way we've kind of built this up too, is we've never had a, we've never had a big radio hit or a song in a movie or, you know, we don't have a rich daddy or some wealthy benefactor throwing money at it or anything like that. So it's all been honest, organic grassroots, one fan at a time. And uh, so because of that, when we go to play a place like Bonnaroo or Telluride, uh, it's a healthy mix of people that maybe have never seen us before. And then, you know, fans. So mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I sort of love having, a little bit more of a, you know, of a room to kind of hold things in though. I mean, the main stage at Telluride has been one of our best festivals and shows we ever did. And that is one of the biggest, uh, that's 8,000 people open air all the way back. Mm -hmm. And 
so it, it it's a great one too but um it, it's it's kind of interesting man because each thing's a little bit different and we do so we, we do a way more diverse like uh like style of venue than most bands like if you're a punk band you go play little punk clubs and that's it if you're mm-hmm. a country band you're gonna play the country clubs and that's it you know a lot of times blues bands play blues clubs and blues festivals and that's it and, mm-hmm. and we don't we we've played all that you know yeah we played right. every if we got started playing every dingy punk rock club in in the country because at first the blues clubs wouldn't book us mm-hmm. and now they do but in some places we're just too big for the blues clubs so we mm-hmm. go to theaters in the in, in in town instead of the blues clubs and then you know we've played every festival you know the just about that there is or at least every kind of festival there is we're not playing right. every, every kind of festival from like you know your uh like jam band festivals to blues festivals to roots festivals to rock festivals to everything in between well you know the thing i, I love about what you're talking about is is there is something i mean i've always been a concert guy i love concerts i love live music there's nothing that turns me off to a band more than like their their studio album sounding one way and then you go and see them in their absolute garbage life. You yeah. know, I just, I can't stand that. Mm-hmm. But there have been so many times where I've gone to, you know, I go and see a big band and they got an opener that I've never heard of, or maybe I've heard of them, but didn't really listen to them. And then because of their live show, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a fan now, you know? Yeah. Um, and and so there's something to be said about the the energy and the ability of someone to just rock a room and especially when you have a trio and you're making all those sounds with just the three of you i think that's really impressive well thanks you know i i i think we definitely are one of those bands where people are are like i i think our live show is, is even better than our records especially our early records and our early records were like field recordings man they weren't really <laughs> they weren't uh-huh. i mean you know, it's like you go back to our early records and it'd be like if someone judged Muddy Waters whole career on the, uh, you know, the Alan Lomax recordings recorded mm-hmm. on the porch. You know, we were we were young and green and we still hadn't figured out how to how to capture what we did live in, in, in the studio. And, you know, I was kind of, uh, you know, I'm almost like a two. like it, I felt like we're a live band. So who cares about the records? It's kind of the way I was, you know, at some point when mm-hmm. I was young. And mm-hmm. it was. uh uh you know, it's taken a minute to kind of figure that out. You know, I, I think our, our last, you know, several records are, are, are definitely, you know, uh, up to snuff and on par, especially our most recent one. Um, probably that and, and poor until payday, our last two full length records, I think are, are finally living up to, you know, our, our potential of who we really are as a band and what we really are all about. And if, um, you know, like going forward, you know, I, I hope that our records just even get better and better. But, you know, we've always been good live. Always. Yeah. You know, whether or not so, people are so, into our records or not. How long was it before you uh, felt like you like, did you have you ever felt like you're 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 good? Do you know what I mean? Like the, the reason I ask is because I'm an attorney, right? I've been an attorney for 11 years. It took me like four or five years for me to be like, okay, I'm, I'm good at this. Like, I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I had good successes up to that, but at the same time, it, it took that long for me to say, okay, I'm an expert at this. I'm good at this. I am a good attorney. Where was that for you? Hmm. When I was 13. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I immediately thought. Yeah. You need, but the thing is, though, is well, you need that. You need you know, that. You know what, man? I mean, there's there's kind of a you know like a a little you know extra little add add on to that is that at the same time. I have always believed that, uh, you know, I, I, I was good. I work on it constantly. Mm. And I just refuse to be like, well, I'm good enough. This is going to work. I am constantly learning every single day. I endeavor to learn something on the guitar every single day. And, you know, uh, I am, uh, I'm working on, you know, some next level stuff right now that is, you know, completely outside of my wheelhouse where I have to kind of start over from scratch because I am just not content to ever be like, okay, this is what it is. And there are certain things though, that I had a very good understanding of from the time I was young. One is rhythm. You know, mm -hmm. rhythm, I think is a lot of times innate. I think if maybe mm -hmm. it's like anything else you can practice, you get better, but there's a certain amount of innate ability that comes from rhythm. Mm -hmm. And um, there is also a certain amount of, um, you know, there can be very great musicians that are not very creative, mm -hmm. right? And they're, they can read music off a page. They can regurgitate lines and phrases and notes, and they can regurgitate all the scales and they can do all that. And they can, you know, and they're, and they're, and they're great. They move their hands real fast, you know, <laughs> but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a creativity and, you know, a, something to say or a way to speak with the instrument. And I felt like I did. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think also, though, you know, there was a period of time when we first started playing out live. Um, I knew that we were good, I, but I, I wanted to be great. You know, mm. I thought, well, we're not great yet. We're good. You know, we're mm -hmm. good, but we're not great. And. Um, I think that now we are, mm, you know, yeah. we've been doing this, you know, every day of our lives for a long time. And, uh, you know, what do they say? It's like 10,000 hours to, yeah. And we've done way, we've done like, way, gosh. we've done 10,000 hours on stage, not just <laughs> practicing. We've done yeah. 10,000 hours on stage, you know? Yeah. So, uh, we, uh, uh, now at this point, um, you know, I would say, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're there. And, you know, I know there's a certain amount of like, you know, I don't know what kind of, what, what has to be wrong with you to be able to get up in front of, you know, 8,000 people somewhere and be like, everybody stop what you're doing and watch me play this guitar. You know, like that's mm -hmm. a crazy mm -hmm. thing. Like there's something wrong with a person that thinks like, like that, you know, I know that there's mm -hmm. something wrong, but you know, I, I think that the, the reason that I can do that is just because I have spent so many hours doing it and I'm just so confident that what we're doing is worthwhile and good. And, you know, it's, it's not about, uh, you know, I don't know, like, look at me cause I look so cool. It's not about look at me cause I want to be famous. I, it's really just about, Hey, listen to this. You know, it's mm -hmm. always about music. Everything that we do, every dumb thing that we have to do with social media, every, every, anything, it's really all just been about, music, you know, and, and I, I, uh, you know, we try to put on a, a, a show that, you know, is a, is a visual as well as auditory, but ultimately it's really just about the music because I believe in the music, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's what, another thing I like about you guys is that, um, it's so authentic what you guys are doing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not 
mainstream per se. You know, I don't know if anyone listens to radio anymore, but like, you know, it wouldn't be something you'd hear necessarily on your mainstream radio station, but you do it anyway because you love it. I can tell when I'm talking to you, Rev, like you have a passion for what you're doing. You're obsessed. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to tell my son, and my son is getting that way. I mean, really, more so with the singing than the guitar. You know, he's, he's like I said, he's doing choir. He won't eat certain things because it messes with his voice. I mean, like he's really hardcore with it. And uh, you have to have, to, to be successful like you are, you have to be obsessed. It has to be in every day. Like, it's not a job for you. It's just an obsession. Mm-hmm. It is. It still is. And, I, and I, I hope that I'm always obsessed like this because, uh, you know, it, it, you have to be. And I, I heard Rick Rubin say something just this week that actually really articulated the way I feel about it. And, and it's, it's because, you know, all, throughout, like, my whole career, you know, I remember when I was uh, – I don't know. I mean, I was I was 19 when we were first together. I remember someone saying, no one's going to like blues like that. People want to hear stuff like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, I don't care. This is what I like. Yeah. I like this. You know, I, I don't care. I'm not playing it for them. I, mm-hmm. I played it for me. And, you know, Rick Rubin said something that, and, and it's, it's really, really is like, I, I believe that what we're doing is good. So it's not just about just, for the sake of, of art necessarily, but it's never been about like, Oh, this is going to be the next big thing, or let's bring in a producer to make it sound like this. You know, and Rick Rubin said this, he said that art is not for the listener. It should be for the artist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hope that the listener likes it, but he said the the art true, truly great art is an, is, is not done for that. It's an offering to God. Mm. And I know that maybe sounds absolutely insane to people listening, but I, I swear to you, it's the way I've always thought about it. Damn. And I thought that right there is, that's it. Rick Rubin put exactly in the words what I, I've always thought. Now, you, now, as an artist, you're, I don't care what anyone says, you're lying if you don't hope people like it, right? But you mm-hmm. hope they like what you have created. You didn't mm-hmm. create it for them. You created mm-hmm. something that was very personal and real, and you hope that other people are as fired up about it as you because you've done something, or at least when I do as an artist, I do, I do something and I, and I think it's cool. I'm like, whoa, this is mm-hmm. cool. That, that's right now. This is great. I love this. And then sometimes, you know, over time, you get bored with it and you're on to the next thing. But I, you know, I, I'm not, I don't play a song that I don't, at least at the time, think is cool, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what it's about. It's about trying to, you know, in a way, you know, just you, you think, you know, I've, I've, I've listened to all, all this stuff growing up and I've studied this and I've practiced this and I've done that. And then you, you, you know, you, you have an idea and you hone it down to this fine point and you're like, okay, this right here, this is it. This is the, I, I think this is cool right here. And, and you, you record it or you play it live or both. And, and it's really just like, it's, you know, I think that for, uh, for most people that are truly artists and not just trying to, you know, chase a fad or get a certain producer in, it's going to make it sound like this thing that's happening right now. And I think for most people that are artists, that that's the way they look at it. They're, they're creating music kind of for themselves, but they hope other people like it. And I, and I think that's the way, because if you're not, if you're not making art that is, is, uh, I mean, in a way like that's, that's, you know, you can fail that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can fail. And, and I think that as, as an artist, you, you should actually every now and then, push the envelope so much that you have, you fail. Right. Yeah. And by failing, 100%. I mean, you, 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 you create something that maybe the audience wasn't that fired up on. Right. Mm-hmm. They're like, eh, mm-hmm. you went too far this time, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you got to push the boundaries. 
I think so. Or else you're not really chasing that down. You know, you're not, right. really, you're not really doing the the thing that it is, that is it, you're supposed to do because, you know, and not all musicians are that way though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. especially in the time of AI, it's like, there's ba- the bands out there that are like, Oh, let's do an equation to figure out what people want to hear a song about and how they want to hear it and what chord progression needs to be so that it can be a radio hit. And it's just a math equation on how that's going to be created. And some people are just and about the fame. They're just about the fame. So like, I mean, over our career, we had the chance where we could have, we could have done things very differently, right? Like there's been times we've had management and labels and they said, Hey, we're going to get you in with this producer and we're going to make you sound like this thing that's happening right now. Or and, trying to get us to do reality TV. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, but when it comes to the sound, you know, like there was a there there was a couple of times when they were right. Like if we'd gone with a producer and sounded like the thing that was happening, who knows? Maybe we would be way bigger than we are. You know, way mm. way more successful, more monetarily successful. But mm. at the end of the day, I had this discussion with a friend of mine who who got forced out of the band he started mainly because he wouldn't do that. He wanted to play music that was inside him. And I talked to him and I said, look, I said, you and I are cut from a similar cloth. I said, if we went in and we did that and we played all of the songs they want us to play and we sang them the way they want us to sing them. I said, that, I said, just, just to have some kind of fame or monetary success. I said, we would not be happy because that's mm-hmm. not why we started doing this. That's not why we're here. You know, if, if it was a, if it was just about fame, it's like, God, I sure as hell wouldn't be playing country blues. You right. know what I mean? I'd be playing damn near anything else. You know, it was never about that. And I mean, I remember back in the day having all these people tell us that we were never going to mount to anything anyway, because the, the music was 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 so niche. They're like, oh, this is, you know, they're never going to be fans doing this stuff. You know, like I, I had I, we had so many people tell us that early on. Yeah, but, but you know, I have a friend who's a who's a, a pro wrestler. He, uh, it was actually really funny watching him because he liked pro wrestling a certain way. He liked it looking real. He wanted it to look like an MMA fight, and that's what he did. And he ended up going to Germany doing the stuff. And the WWE would go and talk to him and be like, "We want to sign you," and he just goes, "No," because I don't like the way you present wrestling. I don't believe that. And they kept on and kept on and kept on. And then one day they offered him so much money. He was like, okay, but I get to do it my way. You know what I mean? And they said, okay. And they let him go and he did it. And he was there for a little while. And then as soon as he didn't get to do it his way, he's like, okay, I'm gone. You know what I mean? And I remember him saying, and I've used this same quote before. I remember him saying, I'd rather be forgotten than remembered for giving in. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's what you guys are doing. And I think that that's really impressive. I have to ask Breezy a question. So, so when you have your de- Rev is so passionate about this, and that passion can like get you up, but also because you're probably you're touring together all the time. You're together all the, when you're working together and married. You're together all the time. Does it ever drive you insane? <laughs> no, people always ask that question. Yeah. I don't think you're married to the right person if that is the case. Yeah. And that will break up some people's marriages by saying that. But no, I mean, I wouldn't marry someone that I didn't want to. My, my brand of insanity does drive people insane. I know <laughs> that. <laughs> Just but not her. He, I don't know why. He will occasionally wear me out, but not in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that we've had people come out with us on the road. I know that there are probably people out there like, this dude's too intense for me. Like, he's nuts. I have one time <laughs> we had we had this guy um, who, uh, 
Oh man, it was like a, a it was someone we were working with at some stage, or I, I forget it's a fan or what, but I, I overheard them saying, "Yeah, man, I met that guy. He's just as intense uh, off stage than on stage. Like that's really <laughs> who he is up there on stage." And you know, and it made me laugh because I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's not some act I do. It's just really who the hell I am." You know, so yeah. But I am, but, but, you know, but the but thing I is, I do. Yeah, I love but, it. it's it's but, it's for real. But, but I love it too. Like I, I remember one time a guy telling me, a friend of mine, he was asking me about wrestling, right? Like, and and he kept asking me about stuff, to the point where I was like, "You're asking a lot of questions." And I just said, "Are you a wrestling fan?" And he goes, "No, I don't like wrestling, but I like listening to you talk about wrestling." You know what I mean? It's like when you yeah. get somebody who's super passionate. Like I love this, right? Because yeah. you're you're so intense because you're so passionate. And it's like, and it carries through. And like, I've listened to your music. It carries through in your music. You know what I mean? And you're a true, you guys are true artists. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not something out there to go on a billboard. It's not something out there to push records. It's not, it's not out there for that. It's authentic. It's who you are. It's, it's your art. It's, it's what you love. It's a piece of your soul. And that's just like that for at least for me carries through and that that's so important we need people like that you know what i mean and i just think that's awesome you know and this so is a, this is a weird story it's kind of an aside you know i i think one time we were invited to to play at halftime with at the uh with the spurs hmm. antonio spurs and this hmm. was back when you know there's a guy on the team that we're good friends with his name's so matt bonner and he does a lot of charity hmm. That we help out with. Yeah, he was on okay. the team for like 11 years or something. I forget. Lots uh, of, uh, or he was in the NBA for 11 years on the team for, I don't know. He's been a long time. He's an awesome guy, just an incredible, incredible guy and a great friend of us. And thanks to him, we've become friends with a lot of the Spurs guys, especially back when he was on the team. You know, and during the, the Tim Duncan era, you know, it was like the you know, legendary Spurs team. We were mm-hmm. invited to, to, uh, to play halftime there. You know, they had like mm-hmm. a stage and we played halftime. And then after the show, we had we did, did an entire concert. The whole team stuck around and hung out, watched the show. Afterwards, they they uh they they threw a party for us in like their mm-hmm. lounge, their like private lounge up, you know, up in the in the top of the place, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really incredible. And we had this guy on tour with us, and I won't say who it was, uh it doesn't matter, but we had a guy on tour with us. And I'm like, hey, these guys are throwing this party for us. Like, you need to come come up here and and, and say, hey. And he said, I, I don't like basketball. I'm not going up there. And I said, I don't like what, what does that do with anything? I said, these people invited us in here as guests, and they're the best in the world at something. Mm-hmm. To me, it doesn't matter if they're if, if they're the best in the world at me- being a mechanic or you know, groundskeeping or you know, billiards. I mean, it doesn't matter. These are the, they've invited us in as guests in their place. And they're the best in the world at something. And so for me, also there's free shrimp. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but Important I, I stuff. like this, even if someone wasn't necessarily, and we have, that happens all the time with our band. People, they're not, they go, I'm not really a blues fan or I'm not really this, but I love your band. And I want, and I want to be like, look, you know, if if you if you like music at all, or if you're just interested in seeing someone and seeing a group of people that are among the best in the world at what they do, then I think that there you know there it, it our our stuff's worth checking out. That's how I, I look at it. Just the same as it as the Spurs. Like it doesn't matter if you are a basketball fan. Mm-hmm. You go to 
a Spurs game, especially back then at that era when they were winning championships every year, mm-hmm. you're still the best in the world at something. It doesn't even matter if you're a fan, you know, right. and, and they're so passionate about it, man. Like them talking about basketball, you know, you think like, what's an NBA star going to be like? They're going to talk about their cars or this. No, no, they talked about basketball, dude. They, yeah. loved, they were obsessed. Yeah. You know, right. all the other stuff that came with it didn't matter. They mm-hmm. would have been playing that game for 50 cents an hour. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Obsessed. And yeah. that fired me. You know, it's like that guy that, you know, that, that wet blanket, you know, be, be damned, didn't matter. I was inspired by people that despite, you know, the fact that they had money and they could have had entourages and all this stuff they could have had, right? It, nuh-uh. No, 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 no. Yeah talked about them first off they wanted to talk to us about what we were doing which you know was humbling and when we talked to them about what they were all about it was basketball man they were and i think that if you want to 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 be good at something remain good at it you must remain obsessed i believe in i think you have to be obsessed i don't think you can get there if you want to be if you want to be the world class you know, at something you can't just be like, oh, I'm, you know, we're going to sit on our hands and we're pretty good now. No, you must be obsessed. And, you, you know, know it, I have people it, all the time, they say, how do I want to be a professional musician? What do I do? And I say, walk away from everything else. Mm. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I found in my own life, there's never a time when I'm like, just like stagnant. I'm either getting better or I'm getting worse. You know oh, what I mean? God, that is why I always say that. And I've, I've, I've gotten big arguments with people. It's so awesome you say that. You can ask me. <laughs> if you are not getting better, you're getting worse. You're getting worse. So staying the same. Doesn't happen. Yeah. I always say that. I'm like, the, the, the earth is trying to turn us and everything we, we make into dirt. And if mm-hmm. we don't let it. Or if you, I mean, if it, if you, you must fight it every single day because it is turning you into dirt and everything yeah. you've ever made and created into dirt. And eventually you will be dirt, but you have to fight it tooth and nail every single day, because if you are not getting better, you are getting worse. Yeah. No. And that's, and that's what's, and that's, you know, it's interesting. I I love talking to people who have been successful at things. And this is why I wanted to have you on because you're so like, you are in a niche, but it's because you love it. And I remember even back then I can tell you, I remember there was one time while I was there, we were at the Rada's house for like a dinner and you guys were there. And you picked, you, we were just hanging out and you just picked up a guitar and seriously, your eyes lit up when you picked up the guitar just to play like a couple of cover songs. You know, you weren't, you weren't really like, you know, you weren't going to put on a performance for us. We were all just sitting around talking and you were playing and I could tell that you loved it even then back in 2000, you know what I mean? And and I, it sounds like that was around the time you were still dealing with your surgery stuff, you know, yeah, and, I probably could barely play. I was right. Playing. Yeah. Right. Cause I mean, like I said, you were just playing for a few minutes and just playing a couple of songs and, yeah. and, uh, and it was just, a, it was interesting to see. And so what, what's next for you guys? What do you guys got on the docket next? Well, we'll be back out on, on tour, uh, you know, here in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be recorded, uh, an acoustic album. Mm-hmm. It's a lot yes. of solo stuff that I helped him record. And then I'm doing some stuff on it, singing washboard, other percussion. And so we'll be putting that out sometime early next year. We're getting it all worked out right now. It's been recorded for a while, actually. Yeah, We recorded it at uh, home because we built a studio in our home. Nice. Uh, that's one of the benefits of COVID. We were able to move to a little bit bigger place during that time. Any other time, we wouldn't have time to move or pack and sell our mm-hmm. home. We were able to build out a studio and um, 
which we hope will help us be more prolific and be able to create more music and have a place where my drum kit is always set up so I can just uh, uh, play at any time and have Rev's 400 guitars everywhere. <laughs> so, man, that's that's got to be awesome having your own studio now. It'll allow you to, to just it'd be easier to record. Yeah, yeah and, and it will probably still go to, uh, you know, big, you know, like regular studios when we make full length records and things, but we've been able to turn down a lot of singles. We made this acoustic record. We can make demos. Make um, stuff for our Patreon. Yeah, I make stuff for our Patreon, which has been really helpful the last few years. So it, it's, um, you know, it's crazy, man. All these years of me playing music, I've never had a space to rehearse. Hmm. Wow. Always had to either rent a space, borrow a space, or rehearse at soundcheck. enough to be able to plug in and be loud. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I'm not yeah. You're on your in a chair and play guitar, but I mean, I'm talking rehearse with the band and you know. Yeah, act- are you? So are you guys still in Brown County then? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're on the other side of Brown County, closer to Bloomington. Oh okay, all right. I when I was on my mission, I spent uh, like five months in Columbus. It's beautiful down there. Yeah. yeah, I loved it down there. That was so much fun. A lot warmer than it was up in South Bend. I finished up in South Bend. And- yeah, it's crazy. God. I mean, it, it, you think it's such a Indiana's not a huge state. South Bend during the winter. That would be. Yeah. I was. That's what the missionary said when I got. I got. I got transferred from Fort Wayne, like it was Huntington near Fort Wayne. I got. I got transferred up to South Bend. I think it was November, like early November, and they were like, "I don't know what you did wrong, but God obviously hates you because you're going to be spending the whole winter up in South Bend." And when that lake effect came through, I've Uh-oh. never felt anything for colder than that. Were you guys in a car, or were you biking it? I was. I was in a car, but there was a there was a good forty eight hours where there was an ice storm, and in our apartment, our place. We li- we were in a in a place that actually was in in a parking lot with a liquor store. So we'd have like homeless guys come in and try and knock on our doors all the time. And one, the, the during that ice storm, every other missionary in our area lost power. So they all came and li- stayed with us for forty eight hours. And you know how it is. Like we couldn't, you know, we no TV, no radio, no anything. Uh, it was like I was about to resort to cannibalism because of those guys. It was just like it was so terrible. Northern Indiana ice storm, that liquor store was probably still open, right? It was. It was. People were knocking on our door uh, the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, You know, for your listeners out there to give you an idea. So the Indiana, not a huge state, right? Not a huge state. But the difference in climate between South Bend and where we are is thanks to the lake effect, they get over 50 inches of snow a year. We get five. Yeah. Yeah. That's way different. You know, we barely get any snow. It's, you know, winters are a lot more mild and you go, you just drive that distance up, you get close to that lake and it is a, uh, a hellacious winter. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, my, one of my favorite times was being in the fall. Like, yeah, I was right at the beginning of the fall around Brown County and changing all the leaves. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. So it's really cool to live out there, I'm sure. You know? To come home to, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So where, So now, if uh, let me ask you, I, I appreciate your time. I want to ask you a few questions I ask everybody. And uh, I want you both to answer uh, individually on these. So what would you say was your biggest success in life? And I'm thinking I know what it is. But <laughs> what would you say is your biggest success in life? You go ahead, Breezy. You got to answer. Uh, it's this pressure because you want to make sure that 
You no, say I, I can say, I can do it if you, I'll go first if you want. Yeah. I know, I always tell people, when people ask me, they're like, what was the thing that happened to you that made all the difference? What's the biggest, what's the biggest success? Getting a guitar? No, no, no. It's washboard breezy. Oh. No. 100%. 100%. It's not anything else. That was the most, that was the thing that, that, uh, that was my biggest success in life. Because it, um, if I had not met her, first off, I wouldn't be doing this. You know, and then and then also, too, when we first met, I wasn't playing all the way. I, I wasn't sure what my future held. It didn't matter. Like, I felt mm -hmm. like I was going to be OK no matter what anyway. I still feel that's that awesome. way. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you, Breezy? I'm a jerk if I don't say the same thing. I know. I was going to say, you better say Rev. <laughs> <laughs> he set you up. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, that is true. You know, there was that was a, a point in my life where I was looking for some sort of fulfillment and uh, looking to uh, express myself artistically. And, uh, you know, we met at the right time and Rev helped bring that out in me. And, and um, you know, I guess him buying me a washboard, really. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Okay. Yeah, so I bought her a washboard and, and, and made her the most famous washboard player on earth. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's all I, I said. Thank I you. I like to say I made myself. But, uh, <laughs> humility has never been Rev's strong suit. You can't put everything. No. <laughs> but the thing is, though, is that the thing is, always, here's a, I the funniest joke, and I don't think we'll ever get it. She always says like that. Now that's my that's my response to that. But anyway. yeah. But the thing is, is I, I I respect that right the the because to be like to be a front man of a band right or to be successful you have to have a mindset you're the best like you know me i my boss was so annoyed at me when i was a law clerk because when when he hired me i he knew i had the mindset of i am going to be the best attorney you've ever seen and he would try to knock me down and he couldn't do you see what i'm saying i was like no i am the best and i and i walked in that, that even when i got out of high school i worked in a warehouse and I was like, I am the best worker here. I walked in the room and nobody's better. You know what yeah. I mean? I walk on the basketball court. No nobody's better. No matter what job I had, you know, even if it was like working in a restaurant, being a waitress or whatever, it's like, I'm going to be, I'm going to put 100% into this and I'm going to do well at this job. And even if it's bagging groceries when I was a teenager, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. And, and some people think that that's cocky and arrogant and maybe they're right. But the thing is, is that, that's why you're two are in the world and they're not. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just right. And, and so uh, now it has to come with it's, it. has to be tempered. You know, like, I mean, when it's taught, when, when you're talking about this here, you know, like the, what we're doing, you know, this, like I'm talking about music, like the, our career, our, our, our art, the, you know, I know, um, I know where I stand on that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I believe in it. Um, but, you know, I, I also, don't you know purport to be a an expert in in everything and i'm and i and i promise you that i am still studying the guitar like a student mm -hmm. you know i think one of the reasons why i am so good is because i am a student of that instrument every day right. i look at it and i go you know I'm, I'm always searching out things like okay how do i do that all right i don't know how to do that how do i do that okay there's someone i see someone do something on the guitar i'm like well that's interesting i gotta learn how to do that you know what i mean like i'm just constantly trying to to absorb that so i i think that you know it your 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 confidence you know i, I think must be tempered with that and i and i and i also think that 
you know, you can have a, a, a confidence that comes from a narcissism mm-hmm. real, or a confidence mm-hmm. that comes from practice experience. And, you know, I really, you know, uh, like that's, that's where mine comes from. You know, yeah. I've been doing this since I was 12 years old, you know, like I, 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 I fessed up earlier that I'm 42. So I've been 30 years playing the guitar. Yeah. And yeah. I, every single day and yeah. in the first 10 years, eight to 12 hours a day. Mm. You know, you know, what's interesting about what you just said. It, it actually struck a chord with me because I've dealt with this a little bit. Nar- you mentioned narcissist, narcissist arrogance versus arrogance based on or, or confidence based on work. Mm-hmm. The difference there is exactly that. And that is that the narcissist thinks that they should have what you have without doing the work that you did they feel like they're entitled to it because it's just who they are i want it but that they don't do the grunt work like when they see you they're like oh yeah i'd love to do that too but they don't understand that you've been doing that for 30 years and started in a garage and in coffee shops and you know all these things and now they're seeing that but it's been 30 years And unfortunately, we're in a business that really attracts narcissists. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes those people actually can become successful. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think they make great art, mm-hmm. right? But they can become successful in music because maybe they're willing to go in with those producers and they wear the right thing. Or, or they got a rich daddy. Or they got a rich daddy. Mm-hmm. Or they're willing to stomp on people. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this world, like, like, let's face it, like it or not, you know, there, there are, there are multiple ways to get to success. Hard mm-hmm. work is only one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. There are, there are multiple other ways beyond hard work, but hard work is the only one that's really true and honest and real. And yeah. the other ones are not, the other ones tend to, to, to draw in the narcissist. And, you know, we were talking about earlier, you know, one of the things that, you know, if you, the, you get up on stage in front of thousands of people and, it, uh, you know, most people are like, uh, they're scared, they're nervous, they're, they feel weird about it. And it's either someone that's confident because they believe in what they're doing from practice, you know, obsession mm. or narcissists. Narcissists are mm. also, you, they can get them from 8,000 people. <laughs> they look at me and they don't feel anything. You know, it's a, yeah. it, 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 this, we, we, we have met a lot of narcissists having done this and, uh, you know. You got to check yourself a lot in this business too. Yeah, you yeah. do. Be, you, have you, got, be, you have to be open, and, and and part of that is is you know going to concerts and seeing other people and seeing that you know, man, this mm-hmm. person is better than me, and I want to you know it'll inspire me to work harder at this. Well, and also too, you know, the older I get, the more I'm realizing you know, I, I, it, it's subjective. It's music. It's art. You know, some people mm-hmm. love art that I don't love, and that's mm-hmm. okay. You know, they they get inspired by it. So I know that not everybody is going to be fired up on the art that I create. I'm looking for those people that will be mm-hmm. right. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I, I, the, the older I get, the more I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So next question, what would you say is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Hmm. Man, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. We've had, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think I could, I could tell you times when in our in our life where we, you know, we, we made the wrong deal. I was going to mm. say failure to read record contracts. Well, I mean, mm. we read them. We always had lawyers. Right, we always know, had lawyers look at them. But you can't trust lawyers, man. You know that. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Part of the problem is, is that um, 
all contracts and music are bad. Mm-hmm. They all are. I mean, there's no such thing as a good one. But, you know, I'll tell you a story. And I've never told this to anybody ever. Mm. Okay. But I can tell, I'm going to tell you a little Do story. Know yeah, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is, the, we've, we've made this kind of error many times in our career where we made the right decision, but it was the wrong decision. And let mm. me explain one time when the whole trajectory of our life may have been completely changed if we had done this. So let me, let me tell you a story. I've never told this before ever, but I'm going to tell you right now. So we were first starting to blow up in Bloomington, Indiana, you know, which is you know, close to where we live in Brown County. And we had really like we had turned a corner like we were having you know, start having real numbers, real crowds coming. And we had a show booked and it was uh, in, in, in it was April. I forget what year, but this would have been. I mean, oh, nine or something. You know what I mean? Like this was early. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, we were booked at the Bluebird in Bloomington. A place that we still, uh, you know, sometimes play. It's a it's a big venue. And they called us up and they said, "Hey, there's this band from England, and they want to open up the show." And we're like, "Okay, you know, our, we we heard through our manager at the time from the promoter, and we know the promoter, you know, Kubiak, and everyone like, yeah, we want uh, sure, whatever. Have the you know this band from the UK. They're like, it's their first time ever in the United States on a tour." But they're, they're, you know, they're, we think they're going to be a big deal. So, you know, it'd be good. It might, it might help sell tickets. Whatever. Okay. Don't care. You know, sounds good. You know, and to me, they, they just sounded like the Avet brothers who are old friends of ours, you know. So 2010. 2010. Okay. So it was 2010, not 09, 2010. So then, uh, like a week later, they called back and said, hey, you know, actually, we think they should headline the show and you're going to open up. And I'm like, what? Like we started talking, we're talking with our manager and like, this is our, like our hometown show. This is going to be the biggest show of the year for us. A big moneymaker, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going we're gonna to sell out this room. And it, like, we're going to have this band from the UK that's never played in the United States before. They're going to, they're going to like have our show now. We're going to open up for them in our hometown. Like, this is stupid. Like, what are we doing? So we go back to them and, and uh, you know, it's kind of some back and forth. And, and they said, well, look, if you do this, they say they'll put you on some shows on, on their, they'll, they'll, they'll have you open up some shows on their, on their big U.S. run that's coming up. And we're like, well, it's their first time in the United States. What does that mean? You know, like how big are these shows going to be? They've never played the U.S. before. Never heard of them before. You know, at the time, no one had heard of them. So it was like, okay, okay. Then they came back to us. They said, you know what? You're right, Rev. We, 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 we talked to their agent. We split the show. You're going to do Friday, just like before. They're going to do Saturday now. We bumped the Saturday show to another day. So now we'll have two sold-out shows that weekend. It's going to be a big weekend for us. And that way, it's no problem, you know. So we're like, we're like, whoa, they already sold it out? You know, it's crazy, you know. So that band was called Mumford & Sons. Mm. And that tour turned into a stadium tour in the United <laughs> States. Um, uh, it was... You know, I mean, if we'd given up that show, we might have been on a stadium tour and it might have changed our whole career and the trajectory of our entire lives. So, mm. um, no, it was the right decision. It'd be the wrong decision. So most of the time when we have made errors like that, it's not been errors. They were, that we, we had, we, it was educated, you know, an educated error, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The right thing and it was the wrong thing. And that's something that I, I, I always try to remind people. I'm like, in this life, you can do every single thing right and still lose. 
Yeah. And that's so true. You still have to do everything right. You still have to yeah. fight for it because you, you cannot win unless you do. Yeah. You can do every single thing right and lose. And I don't care who you are or what there is. I mean, little kids get cancer, you know, places burn down, earthquakes happen, all this stuff happens. It, you can do every single thing right and it just doesn't work out. And that's, um, that's something that's hard to take. And once you realize it, it's, uh, it, I don't think it's freeing necessarily because it, it doesn't change the fact that you still have to, you still have to just fight for it and educated guess, you know, but, but, but here's the thing though, about that, what you just said. And I think this is really important because I try to teach this to my kids and that is that, yeah, okay. You may do everything right and still fail, but at least you can look in, you can look inward and say, I did everything right. It wasn't because of me. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, the regret of not doing what you need to do and failing, then you go, well, could it have happened? It just wasn't in the cards, but at no, least you gave true. it everything. That's true. And you know, I actually had the, I said the same thing to a friend of mine today. I mm. said, you know, you, you don't want to go through this and not say, hey, we did everything we could do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 but, and I said, it may not work out, but at least yeah. you'll get everything we could. Yeah. And I think that's very true. And, and I think for people, um, it's just hard too, because, you know, as an artist, it's real easy to compare yourself. You go, oh, man. Why aren't we as big as, why are we selling as many tickets as that guy? You know, that guy mm -hmm. isn't as good as us. Da, 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 da. None of that means anything because you don't know what opportunities that person's had. Music's subjective anyway. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of factors that are completely outside of your control. So all you can do, it's like Rick Rubin said, you make the art for yourself and offer it up as a gift to God. And then that's it. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, and that, and that's the other thing that I think is important to remember is the uh, the depth perception. You know, like people think that success is so far away. You know, but like it could be for all you know, it could be your next single, your next album, your next tour is the one that blows you up to superstardom. You never know. You know, you know? I, I think that you know part of being a a musician and lasting for as long as we have, you have to have a little bit of that gambler's soul. And I always say that, you know, I love to fish. That's, you know, mm -hmm. outside of music, fishing is my biggest hobby, but fishing is kind of like gambling because every time you cast, the next one could be the big one, right? Yeah. You reel one in, you're like, oh, it wasn't the big one, but this next time it will be. You can also catch nothing, you know? <laughs> but, and, and, and a gambler has a, a there's a, there's a problem with a, with a, a gambler's brain. And I know that I have this. Mm -hmm. it, when a gambler almost wins, like it's, it feels like it's close, you know, like, oh, mm -hmm. it's one number off or then they feel almost like they won. They get a dopamine yeah. run, almost like they won and you still lose. Yeah. Right? I mean, you right. still lose. So, yeah. you know, for me, I know that I, I have that, right. I, it's like, oh, no, he doesn't gamble. Yeah. Look, I, yeah. I could, I would be, it would be terrible. I'm too addictive. You know, I, yeah. I it would be horrible, but. But I, I know that I have that where it's like almost there ah, and I can get almost as fired up from the almost. And, and I, you know, part of that is because I think, too, is because I love it and, and I, I get to do it with Breezy. And so even even when it's bad, it's still good, you know, like pizza. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's no such thing as bad pizza. That's for sure. Breezy, what did you th what do you think is failure? Like what would be you say your biggest failure? Tell the Mumford story uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, honestly, just there, I guess it's not necessarily failure, but 
I have regrets in not uh, learning more about the music business early in our career. And that was mm. a big failure on my part. You know, we were worrying too much about just surviving and being able to eat and put enough gas in the vehicle that I wish I would have spent more time. And I wish in college I would have as well studied more about music business mm. side. So, and, you know, I'm still learning every day, but definitely like some mistakes were made early on that will affect us for the rest of our life. You know, mm. you know I have, that's actually a question I did want to ask you, because I said, I have a son who's really into music and would like to make a career of it. I told him, you know, not knowing much about it, I said, hey, you know, you, you should probably learn, you go to college and learn something about the music business because everything I hear from any art artist is about I how would have changed my major. And I thought about it cause we had already started the band and stuff, but it was like, man, I'm so close to finishing up. So I did take, you know, um, you know, Rev's degree is in audiovisual, and I definitely took, uh, you know, classes that helped me, but I wish I would have taken some like music business classes or something like that, or even just yeah. business period classes. It's, it's that. so complex though that even one music business class won't get you there. Like it, it what you need to do for your son is you just become a music business lawyer. Yeah. Ours just retires. We need a new one too. So you make that happen. <laughs> call us up, make that happen, make the switch. And then, because honestly, God, it's so heavy. There is, I mean, between the, the publishing end, the uh, recording contract end, now the streaming side of things, it is so dense and so, um, so insane. Really, it's an insane business. When you look at it and you start looking at how the music business is ran and how things are, it is um, definitely, it was, it was written by people who were not the musicians to make it hard on the musicians. In life. Yeah. It really, yeah. and it's it very purposeful. Yeah. And I, I hear a lot. I listen to a lot of like Dave Chappelle talking about the stand up comedy business and the TV business and stuff. And I go, man, it's, it, you know, I, 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 that's why I tell or even like listening to um, a carrot in front of you. And it's like, oh, well, if you don't want it, someone else will take it. So here you go. Yeah. You get offered. Mm -hmm. and, right. Uh, I mean, it's the right. same thing, like a lot of the actors on strike. It's the same thing. It's like you know, a lot of them didn't want to strike because they were scared that that their work would dry up during it. But also like, you know, especially the actors that are at a low or medium level, like they can't survive. They, right. I, I thought about before, like what in the same with musicians, like there's, there are musicians unions, but for the most part, most of the artists that, that, um, you know, they're not really, it, the musicians yeah. unions aren't really, they're more for like symphony. Yeah. And, and like stage crew at certain places and things like that. Like uh, they, they, they don't have a lot of teeth when it comes to Spotify and things like that. And it's sad because we don't have a way to strike and get back at Spotify. Right. Mm -hmm. we don't have a way to strike and, and say, it's hard to get artists together. Cause they'll go, yeah, you can go fight for that. And I'll just go ahead and take your place over here while you're right. Playing. Well, and you think about like Lars Ulrich was really big when um, when once it came uh, Napster came out and was talking yeah. about that, and he got filleted. I mean, he even did. now he was right. That's the yeah. thing. Sucks is they were right. You know, yeah. And in retrospect, they they you know we we know they were right. It was, um, you know, it, it's just it's tough, man. I mean, it's tough. Yeah. You get it, you get it coming and going, and there's there's just no uh, there's no real recourse. And and a band like us, it's why we tour so much because. You know, you cannot illegally download a live show and that experience. You know, you can't right. you can't stream it. 
You know, there's no there's no way around it. It's if you want to get that real experience you get can't be bottled up and sold. It can only be absorbed right there. The 100 percent, you know, at that power trip, it was ACDC's first first uh, live show in seven years. And there's just something special about it. You my, know what I mean? My buddy that was there texted me the whole time, and he said that show was one of the best shows that it was he's ever seen. It was incredible. It, he, it was shocking how good. Because, you know, they're older, right? Like, I saw the Rolling Stones in 2005, and then, then I was like, they're old. You know what I mean? But, but seeing Angus Young play on that, you know, just he had all the energy in the world. He was falling down, doing all that stuff. What's that? He wore a schoolboy shoe, his clothes, but he didn't. But it's interesting because usually he goes all the way down to his shorts by the end of the thing. It's just him in the short. He he kept his shirt on unbuttoned. He didn't go all the way down. So I'm like, all right, in the 70s, he's finally getting a little saggy. He doesn't want to, yeah. you know, he doesn't want to show it. But no, it was incredible. Like you, you sit there and we're like, this is, a, you know, you, you could tell you were seeing him. It was cool because you could tell Brian Johnson and Angus Young were just they were just grateful to be on stage. Mm-hmm. They just love, they were just grateful to be there, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just, it was really cool. So now uh, last question uh, that I have for you someday down the road, you're going to pass away and you're going to have, there's going to be a funeral. What do you hope somebody says in your eulogy? Now, Breezy has to start that one. Oh, I don't know. I know I'm required to, if Reb dies before me, I have to make a statue in his honor. In his eulogy, I'll just complain about all the work that he's creating for me with this statue. But um, I said that jokingly one time. She always brings it up. Well, it just may be like (laughs) Like this tall, very tiny one. But actually, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I hope that, you know, and you know, I, I don't think about it in like musical terms, but just, you know, that I've made real connections with people and, and my family. And, you know, we've, we've got a lot of nieces and nephews that I hope uh, we made a difference in their life. And, and I hope that we gave back to our community and, and uh, I hope that, uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess who gives a shit? Cause I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. well, it's like you, you know I care what I, yeah I might care more about what what someone might say about me now but it's like once I'm gone it's uh yeah all, you know, all the it's, well, it's okay Rev you know I I so I did an estate plan uh t- about 10 years ago you know and I got to write my own funeral and I actually have it for my kids that if it's legal, I ha- I get a Viking funeral. And if that doesn't work, then they got to do the lantern thing from Karate Kid 2. Awesome. <laughs> so they're, they're so mad at me. And I'm like, hey, you want this money? You got to do that. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Maybe I should do, do the Graham Parsons thing. You have to set me on fire in Joshua Tree or something. But, yeah, exactly. Um, no, you know, I, I would say, you know, when I'm gone, the only thing I think – that I hope is that nobody's happy about it. Mm. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, you know, the, the thing is, is that even if somebody is, I mean, as long as you know, I mean, like, no, I think about that, right? Because you're always going to have haters. You know yeah. what I mean? It, like you can't, I, I've had a hard time lately, not lately, but in my life, you, everybody wants to be liked. You know what I mean? You're just not going to please everybody. I have a daughter who's kind of a people pleaser. And I go, you're always going to have, especially if you're trying, if you have a goal 
and and people there's so many people out there who hate the fact that you're achieving and they're not you know um but as long as you can look yourself in the face and say i did everything to the best of my ability to be a good person who cares what they think you know what i mean and especially if you have people who are going to love you you know and you're going to say good things about you i bet both of you guys when you pass away there's going to be a line out the door of people who want to tell funny stories about you and, and shows they saw and things like that and so i'll put it this way guys like for real it's been we have not talked in 23 years and i've always remembered you guys you know what i mean like you guys were i've remembered you both ever since and found you on facebook not not through the through the, you know, Reverend Peyton's baby down band, but for finding breezy, you know what I mean? And, and just friending her on Facebook. And so, you know, you guys are memorable people and you do, you do change lives. So just, just remember that. Yeah. But so. Thank Je you. Jeffrey Dahmer is also. <laughs> that's true. That's, that, that's a good point. No, thank you for saying that. Thank you for yeah. saying that. I, I appreciate that very much. I, yeah. uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. So next time you're in Sacramento, I'm going to come check you guys out. And of right. course, and I'll bring everybody I can and we'll make sure that they buy your buy your stuff, buy your merch and all that stuff. So, all right. Well, it's been a pleasure, guys. If you've listened, like I said, subscribe. Oh, where can they find your stuff? Where Where's the best place to find you? BigDamnBand.com, Instagram.com slash BigDamnBand. Twitter at Big Damn Band. It's Big Damn Band everything except for our YouTube if someone stole it. So yeah, it's, it's Big, Big Damn, Damn Band, Band official. official. There. Yeah, <laughs> Facebook.com slash Big Damn Band. We're on all of the social media places where you find stuff like that, including Spotify and and uh, iTunes and Tidal. You name it. We're everywhere. Awesome. All right. So check out Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you guys soon. All right. Thank you so much now.